there is for me. But here we are. Here we are. In the midst of uh, the program, kind of right in the middle, a little bit past. And it is true that today the, uh, the Parami, Paramita, that we'll be exploring, that'll undergird our theme of self-care is patience. And I don't know, is patience hard for anyone here? (laughs) You know, those of us who want to give care, very often we're doers, we're community organizers, we're activists, we feel really good when we've done something really well, right? Um, And yet, this path, it's so paradoxical to give spiritual care, it's very ineffable, and we may never really know the impact of what has taken place. So it calls us to a kind of uh, a discipline of becoming more and more comfortable with uncertainty, with not knowing, with not doing, uh, and hopefully finding some ease within ourselves for that, with that. I was reminded of two things. One was of that very uh, often quoted piece from Rilke in his letters to a young poet, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is this, to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. There's something about that that really resonated to me about this path toward liberation that's about living exactly what's going on right now. So be patient with whatever it is you're feeling right now on this early Friday morning. And uh, we'll hold that together. So as you start to sit, um, just watch yourself. What, what is it to start to sit, you know? What, what, um, what does that mean to you? Does it mean something about how your body is? Your state of mind? What kind of intentionality you have? outcome, either obvious or subtle. And just reminding yourself that All of these 
details. All of these noticings are held with patience. That having things perfectly the way you want them is not the resolution, the accomplishment of patience. It's a different attitude, it's a different way of relating. So as you attend to what arises, the disposition of patience, just letting the sound of whatever that running water is just be itself. In the absence of the sound to be itself. breath feels in your body, just itself, just the sensation it is. activity comes up. It's almost like offering it space rather than the need to adjust it.
Good morning again. Is the sound okay? Yeah. In the Mahayana tradition, there's six paramitas in contrast to ten paramis. And the first three are generosity, sila, discipline, dedication to practice, or behavior conducive to practice, um, and then kashanti. And a while back I was attending a Dharma talk and and the person giving the Dharma talk said um, something like this. So when we practice, we see more of ourselves, and a lot of it's bad news. <laughs> and when I was thinking about Kashanti, I was thinking of particularly a couple of years ago, I had this, I don't know if it was bad news or good news, but I noticed my own habit of when something would happen in my life, whether it was just a mental process or an interactive process, or however, or something I'd read in the paper, that um, if I experienced it as unpleasant, I didn't like it, and I resisted it in some way. You know? Either just my body tightened a little bit, um, my mind concocted a disapproval, you know, one way or another, that's wrong, or some way. Um, and, and there was some, often, some sense of mistreatment um, and an accompanying emotion. Um, and it really set me thinking and examining you know, what is patience? You know? And I'd like to start with what we might think of as the near enemy. Something close, but not quite, you know. Yesterday I was talking to someone, or last night I was talking to someone, and then they started to talk about politics, and my mind just sort of went, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> you know, it's like... Actually, I was kind of surprised I had so much energy for it. I thought, it's just a mess, you know. I'm happy enough just to... Of course, there's things there that I think are completely wrong and harmful. But um, the near enemy of a kind of apathy or numbing out or wanting to ignore... And then as practitioners, how do we turn the other way? You know, how do we turn towards it? And, and, and then, you know, how does it not become some issue of disapproval of your own mechanisms, your own processes, your own habits, or some criticism of them? Um, how, how can it be investigative? 
you know, as it says in the early suttas, you know, investigate thoroughly. See what it's like when it arises. See what it's like when it's coming into being. See what it's like when it's going out of being. See what stimulates it. See what releases it. And how can we do that exquisite study if we avoid or if we bring it up with in the midst of tension, distress, anguish. You know? it, it's kind of a journey we go on in patience. You know? in, in some ways the first aspect of it is quite fundamental or coarse. You know, like, are you willing to just stay in discomfort, you know? Can can you open to that experience, you know, that annoyance? Trump said what? Yeah, he did. (laughs) For reasons that are kind of sometimes blatant and mysterious, that's exactly who he is. And your own mind said what, you know? Are you, you, you that, like when I saw my disapproval, you know, get linked with annoyance, I thought, some part of me couldn't quite believe it, you know? It's, it's so, uh, in a way, naive. When the world's not the way I want it, I get annoyed. <laughs> when people are not the way I want it, I get annoyed. <laughs> you know, when my own mind is not the way I want it, I get annoyed. You know? it's like it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> and can you just get close enough that the preoccupation, or almost the distraction of annoyance, or agitation? Or maybe even something bigger, maybe some distress. Can you get close enough to just experience the disturbance, experience the uh, unpleasantness that certain things cause us? No? That can we turn towards instead of reacting or even turning away? And it's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes in blatant things it is, you know? Like you get really angry about something, and then a couple of days later you say to yourself, wait a minute, is this, is this, is this an expression of my values? Of, of my intention with practice to just direct animosity towards that situation, that person. Yeah. In the terms of the Mahayana, I think of it like the Bodhisattva vow. Don't give up on anybody. You know, don't write off anyone. Oh, they're just 
No? Can you get closer? Can you turn towards suffering? Can you can you be willing to suffer? And maybe that's one of the gifts we offer as a chaplain. You know, you enter into a difficult situation and you're willing to be there. You're willing to suffer. I think sometimes in the service of our own well-being we're anxious to remedy the suffering. But that gift of patience, you know, modeling that gift of patience, of being willing to be there as it is. Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to be in the midst of a jail or a prison which has qualities to it that are inhuman, you know, that has attributes to how it's all set up, that um, don't create a healthy society, that don't treat people in a deeply thoughtful way. And then as we explore that, often what happens for us is that the next quality of suffering, of uh, patience, which is staying there, you know, like not only being willing to suffer, but actually engage it, like exist in that environment. Rather than being busy to fix it, you know, bearing witness to it, you know, Letting, letting it inform you rather than your own preference or your own opinions or your own defense mechanisms, socially or psychologically, getting busy to change it. Like, it's like learning deeply. You know? What does the prison system create? What does the medical system create? Like some of the things you learn in the hospice system, it's like everybody dies. So it is. And almost everybody has times in that process where they suffer. And if you, as a chaplain, get distressed about that, it doesn't really help. So can we be in the midst of suffering, however it appears in our life, internally, externally? Can we stay in it? Can something in us um, 
endure that hardship, whatever it creates for us, you know? You know, maybe we could say, okay, well, through my suffering, I learn dukkha. I learn the pervasiveness of the human condition. Our responses in that way. And when we tend to do that, it's like our coping mechanisms, you know? Whether it's our apathy, or our dismissal, or our contractions, however it is, our outrage, our disapproval. Um, We tend to see the place that has. Oh, yes, nobody wants to suffer. I don't want to suffer. And there's some kind of almost naive teaching there for us on the, on the first noble truth. Hmm. Suffering. And then as we stay with that, um, and, and we see the quality of it, it helps us to shift our attitude. It may be lovely if it, if it totally dismissed, you know, the self-centeredness of trying to get what you want and avoid what you don't want. Sometimes that happens. But often in the midst of that, some quality of acceptance, some way the impulse to contract or resist starts to loosen up. In the process of hospice, loss, losing, loosening. A friend of mine as his thesis when he was training as a nurse. Um, he looked at how did people respond when they first got bad news? And his most, the most common response is, oh no. no. The impact, and then absorbing it. You know, first of all, oh no and then absorbing it, losing, engaging, suffering, and then loosening. When we see the nature of dukkha, how people respond to suffering makes more sense to us. It's just like, oh, It seems like this prison guard copes with what they do all day. You know, sometimes in prisons, the guards will say, and I'm sure most of you who have worked in prisons have heard them say it, like, well, 
they're incarcerated here and we're incarcerated here. It's the only difference is we go back to our homes at night to sleep. But we suffer these conditions too. Yeah. It's like, oh. And then something starts to loosen up even more. And um, it's like a quality of forgiveness. How did we get ourselves into this mess? How do we have more people incarcerated, a higher percentage of incarceration per capita than ever has been in the history of mankind? And we are this rich, privileged, enlightened society. How do we do that? How do we have prison industrial complex that's becoming privatized and becoming a source of income. And when we can bring patience to that inquiry, investigate it, relate to it skillfully, compassionately, you know, bring forth our efforts of adding some benefit to it, you know. Um, It's like the forgiveness is, rather than Take it as an opportunity to vent disapproval. To let something turn around, like, okay, how to be of benefit with those causes and conditions? How to add something to it that's positive? And this is the great gift of, of forgiveness, you know, it's like, Something else is allowed to be. You forgive someone for harming you, and then something else can happen in the relationship. Like the lifers at San Quentin, you know, oppressed by a system. And then they forgive it, and then within the very same system, they find a way to create wholesomeness. And, and so how to bring that forth uh, in the workings of our own mind, in those moments where your unpleasant experience has triggered agitation disturbance, how your disturbance and agitation has triggered some habituated response you have. You 
You know, there's a a way when we can reflect on the whole process of practice and say that kashanti, patience, is a key factor. Like if, if our practice is somehow stimulating our impatience, you know, I mean, there is a way when the person said that, you know, and then you become, you see more of yourself and most of it's bad news. Everybody laughed. It's like, yep. But um, surely, as we see that bad news, patience is one of our allies. So how do we do that? Yeah. One teacher of mine, Kategori Roshi, he said, when we're totally present and accepting things just as they are in the moment, the whole world's forgiven. Okay, well that's fine. On the pristine moment of the fifth day of a ten-day retreat, <laughs> when your mind has settled down and, and you know, and your attention is strong. Uh, but what about all the other times? <laughs> what about all the other moments, states of mind, situations, interactions? How do we do it? How do we turn towards, stay with, let it sink in, and let it loosen, and let it, uh, in a way, can the patience create a different attitude and response to reality? Thank you. So uh, the idea is uh, for me to set up a little exercise for you around patience. But uh, this kind of transition time is a time maybe to read the group agreements before we do that kind of talking. And Adam's going to do that today. Hi everyone. So our group agreements first are to try on new processes, ideas, perspectives before automatically rejecting them because they are different than your experience. Be willing to step out of your comfort zone or move out of your comfort zone. It's okay to disagree. Disagreement is a necessary part of accepting differences. It's not okay to attach or blame self or others. This can happen on a verbal or non-verbal level. Practice self-focus. Use I statements. 
Pay attention to what you are feeling and thinking. Ask questions of self and other. Instead of jumping to conclusions, check out your assumptions. Notes. Giving advice is the vampire of spiritual care. You can choose to use I prefer no feedback as code. Practice both and thinking and speaking. There are multiple realities of each person present. The notion of either or, right, wrong, good, bad, is not helpful in human relationships. It sets up a hierarchy of values. 100% responsibility. You know more than anyone what you need. Let go of all the other things you need to be doing and be present in this process. Participation looks different for everyone. Be aware of how you learn and process information. Intent versus impact. There's a difference between what we intend and what the impact is on another. It is important to accept when the impact is negative and seek to understand why without jumping to explanation or apology. Assume benevolence of intent. Maintain confidentiality. Anything said of personal nature cannot be shared without the person's permission. If you want to talk to someone about what they said, ask permission. They can say yes, no, or maybe later. Move up, move back. Be aware of how much you are speaking. If you feel you are speaking a lot, let others speak. Ask yourself, wait, why am I talking? If you find yourselves not talking, try to contribute some thoughts. Great, thank you. And then in this transition, uh, doing the group, group agreements, the, the group uh, includes the people who are not here, and so uh, uh, Chuck and Dal, Dal and, um, and Beth are away someplace. Yeah. And Anita is sick. So that's kind of what we know. And um, so Paul talked about uh, chaplains, uh, patients being a journey. And I like that, that it's uh, all these different flavors and ways of being patient and, and it's something we learn and grow and develop and it's a kind of a pers- maybe it's a, a very useful perspective, optional perspective for how Buddhist practice develops over time, is, uh, the growth in patience and all these different forms. And Paul talked also about um, that the patience is one of the gifts that a chaplain brings to uh, hospitals and prisons the patience to be a willingness to um, sit in the middle of great discomfort because most people in those settings maybe don't do that. And so the people you're sitting with have the experience of someone who's showing a different way, makes space, makes safety for what's going on. And and Paul talked about different kinds of patients and uh, they map pretty well with some of the classic ideas from Theravadan Buddhism. The... There's the uh, uh, patience of, for, of uh, persistence, patience of uh, staying in there and persevering. You have a task, you have something you're doing, like you're doing, your, your task is to be patient, so you persevere to try to, you know, okay, keep, keep coming back, keep figuring it out. Uh, or you have some practice and you have a chaplaincy you're doing, you've committed yourself to 
work with a patient in the hospital, maybe in the ER, and and uh, it takes sometimes uh, persistence to stay in there, hold the hold the course, um, not give up, not walk away, not something. And so, uh, form of patience is kind of sticking to what we're, we're said we're going to do. The other is um, uh, uh, patience under insult. Uh, there are reasons to you know, reasons or things that happen that can stimulate anger and hostility and annoyance, and so uh, rather than expecting that we're never going to be angry, um, to have certain kind of patience that uh, we it, we kind of kind of endure or we restrain, so that we don't make the situation worse, and uh, not making a situation worse is a pretty good thing. And then there's uh, the acceptance of the truth. I love this word, acceptance of the concept. The word acceptance, I have ambivalent. Many, many Western Buddhists will use the word acceptance as part of the important part of Buddhist practice. And that certainly is a nice antidote to an uh, overactive non-acceptance. But it can be easily misunderstood. But this idea of acceptance of truth uh, you know, so so oh, this is true, and acceptance doesn't mean that we go along with it or condone it or or justify it. It means yes, now I accept this is what's happening, and then we find our way with it. And then Paul also mentioned uh, forgiveness, and uh, the word kanti is probably in Pali is uh, sometimes considered to be the closest word to the English word forgiveness, and so what that's maybe a flavor of this patience is. Uh, whatever kanti is. Kanti might not be best translated as patience, but that's what we tend to do and we find our way with that English word. So we have these different flavors and ideas and approaches to patience. So what I'd like to suggest is that uh, in a few moments that you pair up with someone and you do what's called an exercise uh, called a repeating question. I don't know if we've done that here. Have we done it here? So uh, one of you is the questioner and uh, your job is to do three things. Your job is to ask the question, to listen, to be a witness, and to say thank you. So the the person who's receiving the question uh, uh, will answer the question, but not, it's a very different than an ordinary conversation. You're not answering the question in order to inform the listener or the witness. You're really exploring yourself and vocalizing what you're kind of stretching into and what you're understanding. And sometimes the first, you know, number of answers are things you've already thought about and you're quite familiar with. But after a while, you find yourself kind of moving into new territory and new ideas or new things pop up in your mind that you never thought about before. So, so by doing it a while, it, new things can stretch. And, but if it helps if you're not thinking that you're doing it for the sake of the witness. And that means that if you have a story you want to tell about it, uh, you know the story, so just get to the end of the story quickly. Uh, don't try to kind of fill in the witness about all the details. They're just there witnessing you do your process. And then you, you say, make one point, usually, and then let the, let the questioner ask again the question. Uh, make one point, the questioner says, thank you, and then asks again. And that just goes like that. And the question is... Um, uh, how can you be patient? Or what's the role of patience for you in chaplaincy? How can you be patient in doing chaplaincy? 
just and then see what all the different ways that what occurs to you. Is that it? Good. So uh, I think what we'll do is um, uh, we can do ten minutes each, and uh, so then we'll we'll come back as a group at ten twenty for just to debrief on that before taking a break. And um, ten minutes might sound like a long time. But uh, the way I was trained to do these repeating questions, they're supposed to be 15 minutes to really kind of stretch you know, into something new. So, um, so if you uh, would please uh, pair up and uh, you can start and I'll ring a bell in about 10 minutes, halfway through, and so that you can s- switch. And when I ring the bell, you might want to just be quiet for a few moments just to check in and, and prepare yourself for the transition. Check in with yourself. Noticing how you are, having had that 20 minutes together. What might have been important, what might have been stretching, what might have been a challenge. And then you can uh, say thank you to your partner and then we'll come back to the big, big circle again. So, there's so much talking afterwards suggests that there was momentum in that conversation. Could we have a, a few kind of varied comments about what that was like? Perhaps brief and we get a sense of kind of the range of 
Let's be, can you please use that? To the, it, needs to, it needs to be turned on. I think it needs to, it needs to be turned on. I'm aware of when I do a dyad that there's a self-consciousness that pervades <laughs> and trying to, like what you said, explore, do an exploration for yourself rather than explain things. So I was very much aware of that. Um, and afterwards I thought to myself, you know, if I had done some journaling about that same question, what would have that been like compared to uh-huh. sharing it with the other person? But what I also realized, it was so heart-opening. You know, I felt just a really great, sweet, heart-opening connection with my partner. And, I w- I, you know, I wouldn't have had that if I wrote. So it, it, it gives me um, encouragement to, like, keep doing that kind of sharing. Great, great. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, but it made me sort of wonder along the same lines at the retreat. Jennifer, you talked about in some of these interactions, instead of bonding, just sort of receiving and not saying, oh, that reminds me of this from my life. And I've been thinking about that in the last couple of weeks. And I recognize how much I want to bond <laughs> more than I want to just receive. And I really I wanted to ask about that and with this exercise, too. Um, the sort of just repeating the question back to the person, and it's not about making them understand what you're saying. It's about sort of the self-exploration. And I've just been really curious if... I'm not sure I'm putting that together with, like, how does that work and operate in chaplaincy and what kind of exercises... Like, what is this bringing out? Um, I feel like I'm missing something because I think I'm always trying to bond. Yeah, I think two things. I mean, for chaplaincy, this is supposed to be a self-reflection process to really understand yourself deeply. The more you can understand yourself... Uh, then when you show up to be a chaplain for someone, you come with that ex- that knowledge and you're less likely to be triggered or do things which are maybe unfortunate in the situation. But what you're talking about bonding, it's a very, the drive to a bonding and have an intimate, close relationship can be very powerful for some people. And for a chaplaincy, it can get in the way if it's too strong. Uh, if you're trying to force it or expect it or you want it, it might not be the what's most useful at that time to try to do that or make that connection. And I know some people who prioritize it, and they're always looking to establish that. I know some Buddhist teachers, that's where I'm, I'm you know, who you know, think that unless they make a strong, bonded c- connection in the interview, they failed, you know, and so they're, so they're looking for that. And, but uh, that's not always appropriate, and, so, and maybe it represents more the person's own need uh, or priorities than it does what's needed for the patient. I'm curious for other people then, and if it's okay to pose a question, because I think when I'm in a difficult time in my own life, bonding with other people is what makes me feel better. And I've certainly had friends who just listen and then don't say anything about their lives or, you know, gone to like a counselor who just right. sort of receives. And I found just personally that that feels confusing and not particularly helpful to me. And one yeah. of the things I've been thinking about is... Can you hold it a little bit closer because my ears are sure. not so good? Yeah, um, and, and maybe this isn't the space to do this now, but I think sometimes I have a hard time getting out of my own perception of things, and because what feels useful to me when I'm suffering is bonding, I, it might be helpful for me at some point to hear how 
it operates for other people to ha- to be heard in that way without you know great if that great yes yeah, so maybe not now but, but oh, yes maybe now <laughs> i'm just going to say a few words about that one of our most basic needs is is to belong and to be affirmed and um, it, perhaps you bring that need. I know I bring that need to my human encounters. And as a chaplain, when you get enough experience, you'll understand how to provide that without creating so much closeness that you then can't say the hard truth to the person or you can't reflect back what's going on for them or where there's too much attention on you because you're really dazzling and have this interesting story. And then they're kind of lost with, you know, you're, you're not... You're not there in a role that's of use to them. You're there sort of as a, a friendly presence. And they may feel great, but has, have you really fulfilled that sense of being the mirror? Um, and how to be a mirror and still have it be very human and heartwarming, if that's what's needed. Um, anyway, it's a skill. It takes time. It doesn't come overnight. And not, and not everyone wants to process their life in, in relationship. Some people actually need time alone, and so that, and so the, the support they get from someone else is not to bond and be a close relationship, but actually the person need, it's actually beneficial if the person's a little bit distant and uh, gives them space so they can kind of do their own thing. Yeah, there are a lot of different a lot of ways. needs. Yeah. Yeah. So here, over there. Thank you. Um, my initial response to the question actually very much reflects your thought. And uh, my experience of the dyad was, well, I should back up one step and say that I'm current. I just took on a new uh, volunteer position, and it's very rich. And it's I'm very like actively thinking about my insertion of self in and my desire to bond. And so I'm like really trying to be mindful in all of my personal relationships to back up a little. Um, and it was so instinctive to want to respond to my partner's um, thoughts and identify with them. And so there's patience. And I noticed my own, you know, like self-awareness of my patience in that moment, in that experience. Great, thank you. So they, they, a little bit of the topic spent, you went back to it now, but the, we got a little bit off with the, with the experience of that at the, at the dyad. Um, I was, when you spoke, one thing I wanted to offer was that as a healer, one of my teachers would say, the person you can see the clearest is the one you just met. So after that, your personal relationship can interfere with your clarity of observing someone. So that's having the spaciousness to see clearly who this person is in front of you because you could say there's non-attachment. You could say there's perspective, right? And then once a personal relationship develops, um, there is that bonding and there is that intimacy and there's the pulls. I want them to see me this way. I want to see them that way. The complexity of our personal desires get in there. Um, it's one reason why I... Excuse, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah. I, I made a point now, just before you spoke, about we're trying to talk about the exercise. Yeah. And now you're teaching. Right. And, and you're going on a little bit long. So, okay. So if I go back to the exercise, uh, for me, it was, um, it was a little bit of digging. You know, there was the initial responses, and then there were the... Um, I had to pause and kind of ask me, 
question and keep kind of investigating, yeah, how can I turn this around? Um, it didn't come so easily after a few minutes. Yeah, I can imagine. Good. Thank you. When we were doing the exercise, I was just so keenly aware of the discomfort of answering the same question over and over. But along with that, like really observing how that discomfort is kind of part of the point of getting you to push through and come up with something. So I was like feeling that operate inside of me through the entire exercise. Great, thank you. Anybody else wants to sp- say anything, especially people who normally don't speak, if you haven't have a chance here. I think Joanna and I, I think, played this role a little bit different. I think we, we asked each other the question, but we went into a certain aspect, like how does describing how to be, how can I be patient in a certain scenario? And um, just to say some a few words about it, I think what I heard from Joanna was um, you make a request and wait and see what happens without any particular notion of how what result you're going to receive or what result will come out of a request. And so it requires an immense amount of patience to be able to make a request or hear a request and just and just simply be with what is and see what results come out of that particular situation. And I think that, um, yeah, that's also, I think, a, a skill that doesn't come so easily. And um, Because, yeah, I think it's the, the, the need to want to help and be actively involved in someone seems to come forth so um, as, a, as, as the most way I can be helpful. And just... just to step back and just and just wait and see. Um, in my life, at least, I, I've noticed that that's, that cre- that has such a there's space that is created there to for the outcome to be whatever it is and accept whatever it is as neither right nor wrong, but just. Look at it just for what it is. Great, thank you. And just two quick points. One more process and one more content. Um, Process-wise, I feel like um, just hearing people talk about the, you know, like the repeating question format, I realize that it's helping me deepen my trust in myself. Like I... I feel like, yeah, there is that self-consciousness and self-doubt, like, you know, often slash always there to some degree. And I feel like with this exercise, just the container of it, it helps create safety and um, space to really explore in a way where, you know, just because of the nature of the exercise, the other person will um, hold space and say thank you at the end. And so I feel like it helps in that way. Mm-hmm. And then two, just from a content um, perspective for this particular question, I feel like um, there's so many different connotations of patience that I never had yeah, had a sense of. And I, I just really appreciate the exploration of that. And I feel like just that 
almost like letting go and spaciousness. Um, when I think of patience, um, I don't think I would have appreciated that until having done this. So great. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Anybody else? So uh, it's about the Dharma talks the two of you gave on patience uh, a little earlier. So as you might imagine, I have lots of notes about this course from teaching it, you know. And every time when I get to March, I have all these notes from what you two say about patience. And I just want to tell you, I think for the whole year that these are my favorite Dharma talks (laughs) that you do. And I, I want to encourage people to go back and listen to them because they're extremely relevant to this and um, you're both so articulate and, and I have the same notes every time you know what I mean and so I, would, I went over there I'm like I'm not going to take notes I'm just going to listen because I've got it written down 14 times <laughs> is that uh, enough? should we take a break? okay great so let's start in here at uh, 10.55 so in 15 minutes thank you